You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. This is the Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Lucas. I'm a land surveyor and attorney at law. We'll spend the next hour talking about land surveying and land surveyors. As always, your questions and comments are welcome. You can send them to Jeff at AmericasWebRadio.com. You can find out more about me at my personal website, www.LucasAndCompany.com. Check out our resources, some of our free resources on our resources tab. Okay, uh, glad you're with us this morning, and uh, I am happy to announce we have another guest. I've had a lot of luck here lately with getting some people to come on the show, and uh, this morning we uh, have the pleasure of being able to talk with uh, Dr. Jerry Nave. He is a professional land surveyor, licensed in Tennessee and North Carolina. He is also assistant professor of geomatics at North Carolina A&T State University, where he teaches classes in boundary location principles, GNSS, geodesy, subdivision design, UAV safety and use, professionalism and ethics, and senior design courses. Dr. Nave has been with AT and, uh, A&T University since 2007. Prior to coming to North Carolina A&T, Dr. Nave taught at East Tennessee State University. In addition to his 21 years of teaching experience, he practiced as professional land surveyor for 15 years in both the private and public sector. After graduating from East Tennessee State University in 1986 with a degree in surveying and mapping, he started working for the Dewberry and Davis in their Fairfax, uh, Fairfax, Virginia office before transferring to their office in Johnson City, Tennessee. He later worked for two different municipalities in Tennessee and ran his own firm for a short time before going back to obtain a master's degree and later a doctorate of education. In addition to his licensure in surveying, he is also an FAA-certified UAS pilot. Dr. Nave, uh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, sir. It's my pleasure to be on. Well, good. How, so how are you and uh, you and yours during these uh, times we're going through? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, just trying to not go crazy from being locked up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's that's a problem for a lot of people. That's pro- hey, I, I just have a question for you. How do you how do you get a uh, how do you get a doctorate in boundary surveying? Uh, there's not one that I know of. So, <laughs> mine, was in, mine was in education, and that was just because universities require doctorate degrees. Right, um, right. No, I was just uh, I was just joking with you there a little bit. I, I know there's not a doctorate in in, uh, in boundary surveying, uh, although maybe there should be. Um, well, listen, um, why don't you tell us a little bit of, about your background? Uh, you know how you um, tell our audience uh, how you got interested in surveying, and 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 then uh, after that, I guess into teaching. Huh? That's a good question. Way back in the dark ages. Uh, 1980s, I was uh, getting ready to graduate high school and I picked up a college catalog for the local university which was East Tennessee State and I was thumbing through it just trying to look at possibilities for degrees. Uh, All through high school I had taken mechanical drafting classes really enjoyed that I was involved heavily in outdoor activities, growing up on a farm uh, backpacking Lots of things like that. And so just something that was like, huh, land survey, what is that? Well, it uses some drafting and you're outdoors. So that's how I fell into surveying. Never before had ever seen what a surveyor did or even a remote idea of what they did. So, so did uh, you go to, did you get a job uh, with a local surveyor and, you know, get your, get your feet wet? Or did you go straight into straight into the, the university and, and enter the program? Uh, following graduation, um, I, I went to Marine Corps boot camp in Paris Island for a few months and then came back as an active reservist. And that, that was my plan to help pay for college. So uh-huh. went straight into the program, and my second 
summer, I guess, in the program, I got a job with a local surveyor for the first time, you know, experiencing what it was really like in the real world. I uh, did that for a few months in the summer, and then following graduations when I you know, was looking for a job, and with the market at that time being so bad, Northern Virginia was about the only job opportunities available. So that's how I ended up mm-hmm. in Fairfax. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I was, um, you know, I, uh, I, my dad was actually a civil engineer and land surveyor, so I kind of grew up around it. But I was going to take a year off after high school to, uh, before I went, you know, went to college, you know, work full time, put some money in my pocket, and uh, that ended up being about like ten years later. <laughs> uh, about ten years later, going back to school. But um, anyway, yeah, so surveying. Uh, um, a lot of people get in it that way. Uh, you know, I asked all my, uh, all the guests on the show, you know, how they got into surveying. But, uh, so what interested you in, um, teaching, uh, surveying? Well, that's an interesting avenue to get into that as well. I've never done anything conventionally. Um, in the mid 90s, we had this wonderful new technology that no one ever heard of called GPS coming about. And so I was curious about what it was what it, and how it was going to be used. And I had a girlfriend at the time who encouraged me to go back, at least get a master's. Um, so that's what I did. I went back to East Tennessee State and began studying, as far as my thesis is concerned, how uh, what we call GNSS now, the GPS then, and RTK. All of that was brand-new technology. As a matter of fact, none of the professors I had had any clue about it. So I, I was kind of on the forefront then in that research and looking at it. So that's how I kind of got into getting a master's degree. And immediately on graduating, the university contacted me. One of the professors had taken a sabbatical. And they said, would you care to come in and teach some night courses in subdivision design and boundary? And it's like, sure. Uh, so just kind of fell into it that way, and he never returned, and I kind of just moved right in. So, yeah, once again, no thought of going that direction. Just one of those uh, opportunities that presented itself that allowed me to to move into education. Well, I, well, I take you, I take you, you didn't regret it. No, no. My mother always said I should be a teacher, but she thought I was going to be a history teacher, and I kept telling her, Mom, there's no money in teaching history. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, it was, it, it's something I really enjoyed. I mean, when I was working in the private sector, I was always training new crew members, and I really enjoyed that. I was trying to help some of them just learn some basic mathematics. So, you know, it was almost a natural fit for me to move into a teaching type of position. All right. Well, great. And so now you're at um, North Carolina uh, A&T. You, did you start teaching at um at East Tennessee, or did you did you ever teach there? Yeah, that's where I started. I was at East oh. Tennessee State, and then once yeah. the professor left, I just you know moved into a tenure position at that point. Okay, um, so you're at North Carolina A and T now, and um, how long have you been with them? I came January two thousand seven to help them start the program. They were just getting it off the ground. I think it started in the fall of 2006, and so oh, I didn't. That was, I didn't know that. Okay, so y'all started the program there. Yes, yes. We had a lot of surveyors in North Carolina uh, who was pushing for having our own program, and uh, they worked for almost 10 years trying to get a university to accept the program. And so I was lucky enough to have met the coordinator of the program at a. Uh, conference in North Carolina, and she convinced me to come across the mountain and, and help her. So. Well, great. So uh, y'all, y'all started building this thing up from scratch, so what's it? Uh, what, what's the program like now? I mean, you know, students and, um, uh, you know, enrollment. What's what's the program like now? Uh, the program was initially set up. Uh, at the request of the North Carolina Society of Surveyors to be able to be offered to as many people as we could. So at the very beginning, we set this up to be an online program. 
And so today we have probably 80, 85% that are pure online, and the other 15% are true campus students. So we have, I believe, we haven't got the final numbers in. We're going to have our largest enrollment ever in probably the upper 60s, low 70s for the first time ever. So we've, we've taken us a number of years to get there, but we, we finally are getting the numbers in that we need. Well, okay. So you you got um, a large percentage of your students are online students. Who who are who are these students? Are these uh, people who maybe have um, uh, are surveyors, licensed surveyors, or have already gone into the surveying profession, and decided to come back and you know uh, decided to uh, work to, towards a degree? Uh, I mean, basically, who are they? So our average student is non traditional, meaning they're over the age twenty one. Most of them. I would say 90% are working currently for a land surveyor. Uh, about 80 to 90% have a two-year degree in survey technology from one of the uh, six or seven community colleges here in North Carolina. They are kind of our feeders. So they take the first couple of years at community college, and then we transfer in as many credits as we possibly can, and then they finish up with us. So the majority are working and have been working for some time. We've had them from true freshmen being straight out of high school at 17 to gentlemen in their 50s. And so it's, it's a wide range of people. Some have been surveyors uh, who want to become licensed in other states where four-year degrees are required. Uh, the companies are pushing a lot of them toward that so that they can be licensed in as many states as possible. So four-year education provides them that avenue and opportunity. Okay. Um well, um, let me ask you. Um, you, well, I've read what you're. Uh, I've read what you're uh, from your bio. What you're teaching there in school. Um, tell me about because I don't hear this a lot um, uh, about uh, teaching. Um, what do you specifically teach with the boundary location principles? That's probably the area that I I consider to be more of my expertise. So we, we just, and unfortunately, I wish we could have multiple semesters of this class. It starts off, though, with a land survey system, which is the first class they take, in which we're introducing them to the systems of laws and just, you know, the public land systems and everything that exists in the United States. And the second semester then would be the boundary location uh, class. And, and there, once again, you I've got to squeeze as much material into a semester as possible, so we covered everything from bound that you would run into in boundary locations, easements, uh, the right-of-ways, uh, the, just the boundary process itself. We spent a lot of time reading case law, uh, in which you know the issues are discussed of why we do what we do. Uh, so it, it's a very broad brush in order to try to get as much as I can in, and there's a lot of extra assignments from researching. The basic property from the beginning uh, to, you know, finding state regulations for platting, et cetera. So, repairing rights, uh, you know, everything that's involved in what a surveyor may run into at the boundary. So you do that in two semesters? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> do I need a year? Yeah. I probably need about two or three more classes than that. <laughs> but we're very limited on what we can offer. So. One of the things that you know, and I'm not—I uh, haven't done. Uh, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've just casually looked into this. It, it just seems that the, the the programs that we have out there aren't teaching, uh, you know, the fundamentals of of boundary location. Just you know, boundary location principles, as we just discussed. Jerry, uh, we're going to have to take a break here, and uh, after the break, I'd like to come back and explore that just a little bit more. Sure. Quick stakes. Is your answer to staking lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes? Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quick stakes today. 
I want to remind everybody that uh, you can uh, go to Quick Stakes. This is a great day to order them and your markers, not only your Quick Stakes, but your markers as well. And um, they would be uh, that would be a great thing to do. And I also want to remind everybody that you can become a patron of America's Web Radio. And if you become a $25 or $50 a month patron, we'll be sending you a free 3x5 flag, United States flag. And uh, so it's up to you, whatever you want to do. Uh, We'd love to have you as a patron. You'll get a newsletter and uh, other things as we go down the line during the year. So think about it, and um, we appreciate it. And don't forget, when you call Parker Davis Quick Stakes, tell them that you heard about them on America's Web Radio, or when you go into your local supplier, your surveying supply dealer, ask for Quick Stakes. They're a lot easier on your back than those old heavy wooden stakes. So with that being said, we're going to come back uh, right after this to uh, Jeff and his guest. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the America's Broadcast. Okay, Jeff, coming back in three, you for two, one, and it's yours. Welcome back, folks. This is the Surveyor's Hour. I'm Jeff Lucas, your host, and with me today, uh, I'm happy to say, is Dr. Jerry Nave with North Carolina A&T University. Uh, Jerry, uh, <clears throat> we were talking about... Um, boundary location principles uh, right before the break, and let me preface the question this way, um, because I've had a lot of concerns about um, um, what um, the land surveying students are being taught, actually, you know, whatever you could, there's so many different names. Uh, you, you, you graduated from a surveying, with a surveying and mapping degree, and now it's either geomatics or, or something else, but the core, the in my mind, the core reason that surveyors um, should be licensed and regulated uh, has to be um, has to be the protection of of property rights. I mean, there, there's really no other reason to license surveyors. Uh, you're, you're you're a UAS pilot. Uh, FAA certified UAS pilot. I mean, who can't go out and and get that? You know, with the, who has the wherewithal and the means and the methods and and wants to do it? Uh, who can't go get that FAA uh, certificate and buy themselves a drone and, and start <clears throat> start flying a drone and and collecting data and doing different things with the data? Uh, so my question is, overall. Uh, and, and you may know more, you, you're going to know a lot more about the programs across the country than I do. But overall, what, what, what are, what are you, we teaching these geomatic students, um, uh, to prepare them, uh, for, um, their, uh, I guess, you know, their, the highest calling that they would have, and that's the protection of property rights. And you're correct. I absolutely agree with you. That's the primary reason that they should be. Uh, going back to your UAS question, yeah, anybody can get it. Anybody can process the data. Of course, we get into the whole thing about do they even know what it is when they're looking at it. I mean, A&T is, is unique in its approach in that um, my two other colleagues are both have both practiced in industry before they begin teaching. Uh, the coordinator, Peggy Fersner, is an engineer by uh, trade, but has adopted, well, I think he adopted her, as an honorary surveyor. And so she teaches a lot of the engineering end of what a surveyor may run across in drainage uh, and computations. And then Dr. Benny, who is our newest addition, is in the processing of the data for uh, geospatial type of information. So we are unique in that approach in the fact that we are bringing real-world experience in and not pure academic. And that's what I'm finding is one of the main problems throughout the United States is that so many of the programs are not being uh, faculty or not necessarily practicing individuals, and, and there's reasons for it, but that, that seems to be one of the problems. So you know, we've, we've been lucky with that approach that... You know, we put 
practical experience over it. So going back to your boundary issues, you know, that's the, the number one thing I push in everything from the ethics class to the boundary classes through the senior project classes. It's all about the boundary and the analysis of the data and how to solve the, pro- the complex problems that we run into in the boundary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I um, there. <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, how familiar are you with other programs across the country? I mean, I, I, you can go look at their, and I've done this, I've gone and looked at their curriculum, and um, it, at least on that core issue of protection of private property rights, uh, they look a little bit. They look a little bit sparse. Uh, they're, they're teaching, um, you know, how to. They're teaching highway design. They're teaching, uh, uh, you know, how to use. Uh, it seems like, and I, I'm not. I'm not in the fold there. I'm not. I'm not deep into this. But it seems like they're teaching more about. Uh, how to how to operate the tools as opposed to uh, well, like you said, professionalism, you know, and, and ethics, and and the core issue of, of why surveyors are licensed. Uh, is it, I mean, is that your impression too, or am I just way off base? No, no, you're not too far off base at all. Because the the problem we have is that in order to pass the fundamentals exam. You have to have a very broad education now because surveying dips into so many areas. And so that's kind of, in my opinion, watered the programs down just a little bit from the initial idea. Uh, research is another area where faculty have to participate in in order to keep their jobs. So, And there is no money in boundary research. Uh, just, I, I, I look for it. So that, that's part of the problem we're running into now. Uh, it's an ongoing problem that we're going to continue to have as, once again, when you look at requirements for a university to have a doctorate in order to teach, where are the doctorates coming from? We kind of laughed about a doctorate in boundary earlier, but there is none. Right. Right. So where are they coming from? It's the geospatial programs. So these people are coming in with zero, if any, background in boundary. And so it's kind of being pushed to the side, and that's where you've seen so many programs fail over the years. I mean, we used to have some really strong programs that looked at boundaries. Um, you know, the, uh, Wisconsin used to have an excellent program that put a lot of survey educators out in the 70s and 80s, and you know that program since died. So there's a lot of problems we have when we began addressing this. And I wish we could have more time with that. But, you know, the current FS is very technology-driven. And that's one of the differences we have at A&T is we believe in learning the principle before you ever touch equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we make students still create a topographic map by hand from the data just so they can see what the CAD's going to do when we actually allow to touch the CAD. So we push the fundamental principle above the technology, at least in our program. And I don't think that's necessarily true throughout the country. One of my uh, observations has been um, that in, in, in boundary retracing, the surveyor uh, who's doing the retracing surveyor uh, in boundary surveying uh, in that role of retracement surveyor, the, the, you know, it's not an engineering project, and it's, it's not a math problem, and it certainly isn't a measurement problem uh, as much as it is an investigative problem uh, or issue. You know, it's uh, boundary retracement in my mind is an evidentiary exercise. It's not a it's not a stakeout uh, procedure. It's not uh, a math uh, issue. Um, and in that role of retracement surveyor, uh, you know, it's been my observation, maybe this is because I went to law school, but it's been my observation that we have more in common with the legal profession than with the, uh, uh, than with the engineering profession. So with that said, I guess I'm, I'm asking, do you see any room for uh, in these programs, your program, or any that you're familiar with, 
with uh, leaning more towards you know um, legal education as opposed to just um, uh, all the uh, education about the technology. The main problem that all programs have is the limited amount of classes you can offer, 120 hours being the max, and the requirement of universities to have anywhere from 40 to 50 hours of general education. So we're very restricted in, in the amount of classes we can offer, but I absolutely agree with you. I've been accused of being a frustrated lawyer um, by many surveyors because I spent so much time talking about the law and seminars that I teach and, and in the classes. So we definitely need more of that. Where we can squeeze it in, not sure. I mean, I squeeze it in, in not only do I do it in the two classes, but in the senior projects when we are looking at the initial project. There's a lot of time going back over the, the principles of the evidence and taking real evidence from the field and learning how to uh, to really evaluate it. And that's one of the problems we have with surveying today is that as surveyors, we are failing the next generation because everything we do now is one-man crew. Uh, if you're lucky, you may have a two-man but. Where's the education coming from the survey community? And our hurry up society where we're trying to earn money, which of course is, I tell students from the very beginning that I am for profit and I believe in profit. Um, but we have lost that mentorship that used to have uh, be there. You and I probably both came through about the same period of pulling a, a chain through the woods with a, with a Diabolite. But there was somebody there teaching me Things, even though I had a four-year degree, the first party chief I had were all instrumental in teaching me the basic principles. And then the surveyors I worked for, the who were more boundaries, sat there and taught me the how to apply those principles. And so this is the problem we have not only in the education but in the profession is no one's teaching anymore. And this is one of the problems we keep running into with so many young surveyors that they don't even have a background understand why they do what they do right that's that's a problem and um, that that's a problem that we, we face and have been facing and another another issue is it, it seems like when uh, the economy gets up and roaring and and everybody's working and you put people on and you can get some of that mentoring uh, uh, going on with uh, with people who are you know, uh, lower-paid employees, and they can send them out with an experienced person. And then, and then the economy goes sour, and we're putting them we're putting them uh, out out to pasture again. Jerry, I'm sorry, we're going to have to take a break. Be back here in just a just a couple minutes. Quick stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quick stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying quick stakes. Did you know that quick stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your bike-friendly stake. All you have to do is call 800-438-0387. Tell them you heard about it on America's Web Radio and the Surveyor's Hour and order your sample of Quick Stakes. Also want to remind you about all of our great shows that we have on America's Web Radio. Everything from the doctor's lounge up and down the gambit. We have so many different shows. The classic car show. We had AACA executive director Steve Moskowitz on Saturday telling us about all that they're doing as far as the coronavirus goes and uh, all of their new construction and the things going on in Hershey and when it's going to get back to where we can all play together. But anyway, we've got great shows on. Uh, this is one sample of it. One example of it is the Surveyor's Hour. What other radio station in the country does an hour on surveying every week? We've got a great host, Jeff Lucas, and he has great guests on, and we are very proud to have uh, Jeff on America's Web Radio. want to remind everybody that uh, you can get a free three by five flag if you become a patron of america's web radio 
25 or $50 a month, and we'll send you a beautiful 3x5 outdoor American flag. So with that being said, let's go back to Jeff and uh, his guest on America's Web Radio. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. Uh, Jeff Lucas here. This is the Surveyor's Hour, and we're with... uh it's my pleasure to have on our, as a guest today Dr. Jerry Nave with North Carolina A&T University. Um, Jerry, um, I wanted to kind of pivot a little bit here, and let me let me preface this question um, also because you mentioned history degree uh, that, that that was your undergraduate degree, and you know my son-in-law, um, future son-in-law. Uh, uh, went to uh, went to a university and got a history degree, and then this is back in two thousand and seven, six, seven, somewhere in there. And uh, he was uh, he didn't have any prospects for work after school, so um, he came out and started working with me. He worked for me probably through two thousand seven and two thousand eight, and things. Uh, and, and he started getting interested in surveying. And uh, so he has a history, he has a four year degree, and uh, in history, and then um, he wanted to see well, what's it going to take? What would I have to do to get a license as a surveyor? So here in Alabama, he was going to have to have a four year uh, a geomatics degree, not just any degree, but a geomatics degree, or enough of that kind of credit. That there was some some amount of credit, geomatics credit, he was going to have to have. So he was going to have to go back. If he wanted to become a licensed surveyor, he was going to have to go back to school, get a second undergraduate degree, and it was going to. We were looking at Troy University. You're probably familiar with that program. But second undergraduate degree, spent about two years doing that, and then there was a two a two year apprenticeship after that in order to be able to sit for licensure. So that's eight years. You can become a doctor in eight years. Uh, and he so he ended up going off to uh, to law school and he became a lawyer. So the question that's I'm saying all that to say this whole thing about a four year uh, degree that we have this debate going on. We want everybody nobody wants to uh, wants the surveying profession to be uh, uneducated, but uh, the, the, the the it seems like it's it seems like a, a catch twenty two. Uh, we, we have to have a four-year, in many places, have to have a four-year degree, but then we can't, uh, in order to get licensed, but then a lot of people can't go get a four-year degree to get licensed. Where, where are we on this debate? Well, as you know, across the country, it, it's probably one of the most hotly debated uh, discussions at any conference that you go to. And I have been all across the country, and it's the same thing. And we've been talking about this for the last 40 years. And probably longer than that, because I believe Curtis Brown probably started that discussion in the 1960s. So the idea is for any profession that you're going to go into is that you must have a general background in what you're talking about. And in the days of the 1960s, 70s, and even into the 80s, where you were having to do everything by hand, all the calculations by hand, you're learning from people who had been in the field forever. Um, you had an apprenticeship program that was workable. But today, that, that system has completely failed us. I mean, I know that you probably have seen it too. The crews are now sent out with a data collector where someone has sat down and put boarded in for the approximate location of property. And they go out and they take their little... GPS unit and run around and start looking for property corners without any regards for additional evidence that may be available. I uh, had a local guy who was telling me he sent his crew out with such a thing. They came back said he couldn't find a corner. He went out and says, where is it? They said, right here. And he says, but what about that iron pin flag 10 foot over? And their response was, <laughs> it was 10 yeah. foot over. It couldn't possibly be the corner. So we had this, this whole disconnect from that, and so where is the surveyor supposed to get his basic education without having to go back to either a two-year school or a four-year school to learn the very basics of it? And we have a lot of students who have a four-year degree in 
you know, underwater basket weaving or whatever it was and, you know, went into debt to get it and couldn't find a job um, that are coming back to get it. And, you know, they're, they're, are having to take a couple extra years to do it, but even your son-in-law had to take two years off to go to law school. And most law schools do not allow you to usually work full-time. Uh, they have a residency requirement, and then, you know, after he finished law school, how long did he work with somebody before being really turned out to go on his own? So, there's, you know, there's, every profession has this idea of education and experience. So, if we could ever get the model to work again, then I wouldn't be opposed to the um, apprenticeship route, but no one has it. As you brought up earlier, you know, when you are looking at a schedule of so many jobs that you've got to get out and, and completed, who has time to sit down and train the young surveyor in everything that they're supposed to know? And then we have the other problem, which I have experienced throughout my entire career, is that the surveyors understand that they're supposed to do something, but they don't understand why they're supposed to do it because they were told by someone who was told, who was told that whole thing of going through elementary school again where the teacher whispers in the ear of a student and goes around the entire circle and time comes back, nothing like what the original principles are. So without this idea of education, you know, and an educated um, profession in which everyone kind of understands basics, then we're failing overall. This is why, you know, in your pincushion effect, uh, in your book, we have so many people who thought math was, was more important than the actual location of the boundary. So unless we can have a other routes to this, I don't know that education is not going to be the only way that we're going to be able to have the quality surveyor who is truly protecting the public and boundaries uh, that, that is necessary. So th- this is what we get into. You have, you have some extraordinary surveyors out there that have done very well in teaching their young prodigies on how to perform these things. But those are becoming far and few between. I saw an article, I can't remember which of these magazines it was, it may even been on, on Facebook, where two young surveyors who had just become licensed were so happy because they weren't going to hire anybody to work in their office. They were going to go out and do all the work themselves. And so they weren't even training the next generation of surveyors coming up. And they had no intention of it because they were very happy that they were lone cowboys, as they called themselves, and were able to go out and do this. And, and so where is that attitude taking us is that we're losing out generations of future surveyors not to mention that we no longer have a three-person crew so now you have one person so we've eliminated two-thirds of the possible candidates to go into surveying so we, we just keep going down this path that's not going to help us uh, in the future hmm. yeah you have uh, you, you, you packed a lot into that and maybe you answered, right. uh, answered a question that uh, I've had for me, and this may be this may sound counter, uh, the, like the counter argument. But one of the things I've thought about is because my my undergraduate degree isn't in surveying either. My undergraduate degree, uh, which I didn't need one to get licensed, uh, was is, is in business. And so I've thought uh, over the years, why can't why can't we why can't uh, we just allow anybody with a degree to sit for the exam? But you would have to make the exam a little more rigorous than it is now. And uh, it, um, like, for instance, um, there are states, California used to be this way. I think it still is. Uh, you don't even have to go to law school to uh, to sit for the uh, bar examination. It, but the bar examination, you're not going to pass it unless you know something about the law. So uh, they'll allow anybody to come in and um, and sit for the bar examination, and if you pass that exam, then uh, you're you're a law. Next, you know, the next day you're a lawyer. Um, we would have to make a more rigorous exam. But uh, what do you think about the idea of any degree? Okay, any degree. You got a history degree. Okay, well that shows us what that shows us is you have some stick to itiveness. You you saw something through. 
you know how to sit down and study, you know how to take exams, uh, and if you can pass our exam, then you know you'll you'll get a surveyor's license. I'm, what? You, any thoughts on that? Sure, I run into it all the time, and that's why people come back to the program. They can't pass the exam, even the current exam, because of all the requirements of what a surveyor is supposed to know according to the FS exam and the, and the PS. Uh, I have engineers who supposedly have all the math necessary who can't pass these fundamentals of the, and so they're now coming back to get additional classes because they don't have what it takes. And I think you probably are familiar with many states where engineers were initially grandfathered in when licensure started becoming a problem. And many of those engineers turned out to be some of the worst surveyors we ever had. It's not the education that we're looking at. It's what they actually need to know from a surveyor point of view. So if engineers can't do it. I mean, uh, I've had people with history degrees, everything else tried to take the exam, even some of the two-year programs. And the exam has become so complicated, they can't pass without getting the additional classes. So we're already doing that. By the way, California now requires a law degree. Um, I, I looked it up. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> but, you know, that nobody's really, I don't think there's any state left that we're reading into the law is still allowed uh, because, you know, that's, you may have that problem. It's like North Carolina still has a backdoor for engineering. If you work in, say, 16, 18, 20 years, whatever it is, you can actually set for the PE exam. Uh, very few people actually ever accomplished that. I do know several people who did. And, you know, they're very bright. They were all surveyors first. Um, so we have these opportunities. And anybody, by the way, can take the exam. Now, it does not require any form of education. You can go take the exam, and then when you get whatever the state uh, specific- specifies as far as experience, uh, then you can actually apply for licensure. So, you know, I think we're already kind of down that route, but it's once again, mm-hmm. you, it's very few, you're going to have very few talented people who can study completely on their own and accomplish that. Um, right. It, without it, having it, any, without having any kind of uh, on-the-job training, no apprenticeship, no mentorship, that, that kind of thing. I, I hear what you're saying there, yeah. That's something I really hadn't thought a whole lot about, but, you know, you're hitting the nail right on the head. I, I think the loss of apprenticeship, the loss of mentoring has really been uh, something that's just given the land surveying profession a, a body blow. Yes, and it's also courtesy recruiting not only for, for schools but for employees. Um, you know, we, we I get emails every day from people, do you have anyone that we can hire? Because we are so desperate to try to find qualified individuals, not necessarily that they know what they're doing, but just who will show up to work. So right. we're really running into that now as well. And that's one of the reasons that our society has kind of partnered with some of the southern or some of our surroundings to ask the, uh, like the NCWS to create a new grant in which we're looking at how to recruit people into surveying and also into the education as well. And so that's something that's just about just coming about with NCWS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, and, and then like I was saying right before uh, uh, the last break, um, then then we get uh, we get all these young people in, and you know, like we're clamoring for people now. And so you get these people hired in, and then we get another downturn in the economy, and they're the first ones out on the street. And, and I've heard we heard that. Yeah, we wonder where's where's the talent? Where you know where? So now, so now it's it's kind of a vicious cycle. So you you can put on extra people, and, and when everything's booming, you got to let them go when uh, when times get get soft. And so uh, then you just you know you work yourself down to the one man crew out there with a truck and um, um, GPS equipment, uh, robot or whatever. You're down to one man crews. 
You're absolutely there's right. No pl- there's no place for apprenticeship. No, not anymore. Okay. Well, I know we're coming up on a break here shortly. Uh, I don't want to get... Okay. I think we're going to have... Uh, we'll be getting to a break here in just a little bit. But uh, So I don't want to ask you any uh, big open-ended question. Uh, but um, let me see what we got here. Uh, USA Hatch. All right. With a, uh, with a sponsorship. All right. Are we are we about ready for a break, David? Yes, sir. Okay. We'll take that be break back. and be back with Jeff and his guests on the Surveyor's Hour only on America's Web Radio. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Quick stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quick stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying quick stakes. Did you know that quick stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. And don't forget that uh, Parker Davis has some of the greatest markers and they show surveyor marker, do not remove. And uh, they're very effective and they're used all over the country. So today would be a good day to uh, call 800-438-0387 and order your markers and your quick stakes. Business is headed your way, I guarantee. Now, it's uh, business is picking up all over the country, and uh, we're getting more and more calls and people telling us about it. We also uh, want to remind everybody you can get a... Uh, Free cap if you join as a patron, a patron, a patron, patron on America's Web Radio, and or a three by five exterior flag that um, we'll send you for absolutely free if you join uh, and become a patron on the twenty five or fifty dollar per month level, and this is uh, like for six months or something like that. However, it works anyway. We'd appreciate it, and that's what keeps the great radio shows going that we put on every single day. And we've got some of the greatest hosts going: Doctor Shears, Doctor Scott Barber. He's an orthopedic surgeon, and um, Doctors Lounge. They talk about what's going on with doctors and what could happen if um, the Democrats get in and we go to a one-pair system, which would not be good, folks. So uh, look at your candidates, learn who's doing what and who believes in what. We'll be back right after this, and then we'll go back to uh, Jeff and his guest. Quick stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quick stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying quick stakes. Did you know that quick stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick stakes, your back-friendly stake. You're listening to America's Web Radio Online. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back, folks. This is the Surveyor's Hour. I'm Jeff Lucas, your break, and I have with us today Dr. Jerry Nave with the North Carolina A&T State University. Um, Jerry, uh, we'll pivot a little bit here in our last uh, segment. Uh, I want to ask you, it seems like GIS, uh, Geographic Information uh, Systems, and their operators uh, are the bane of the surveying profession. Uh, you know, the old uh, survey saying GIS means get it surveyed. But the reality is if um, uh, when when it is perceived that a GIS map is as good as a survey, it, th- then it will be. And um, they greatly, uh, they've seemed, at least in my career, they seem to have come from nowhere and now they're everywhere. Uh, you know, you, there's a geographic information system with operators, technicians, um, uh, professionals um, in, in every county now. I mean, what's uh, can the two survive together uh, here in the future, surveying and GIS? In my opinion, yes, because they are really two different things when we get down to it. I mean, North Carolina is one of those states that 
actually license GIS uh, people as land surveyors if they go through and they, they have to take the fundamentals and then they have to take the uh, mapping science um, equivalent of the PS. But in those cases, you know, we're trying to, this is still an argument that, that we in North Carolina see all the time between GIS and surveyors is where do the two actually separate from being an information system uh, which provides just inventory uh, utilities a lot and then when they move into these ideas of precision and that's where the licensure part comes in when you start saying or expressing accuracy and precision on the maps. So part of the problem we've got of course is that we never embraced GIS from the start. I remember when GIS came out, my girlfriend at the time was getting her degree in GIS, and her professor wouldn't even let her call it GIS. She had to call it automated cartography because you know, no one thought GIS would actually go anywhere. And surveyors just ignored it. Well, now it's mm-hmm. there, it's a powerful tool, and it's something that we all use every day. But you know, as far as where we're getting this accuracy of boundaries, and this is, this is an area that we have to be in constantly guard of is there are people who assume that you can take a GIS map and just because it's got coordinates on it, it must be perfect. Then we get back to that whole idea of the map and the crack surveyors who are addicted to map. The GIS people just addicted to it. So we we have this whole debate all the time and we have to exist together. We we have to form distinctive lines uh, where you cross from being a GIS operator and doing analysis for whatever problem you're trying to solve, and then when you're actually entering in the survey, nothing should ever replace boots on the, in, in the field, boots on the ground. You know, we, that's the only way we can ever get the information that we really need to really trace a boundary. The problem we also run into is so many of the professors at the universities now are geospatial. And that's all they know. And so we have that problem coming about, too. Is, are we getting too much geospatial and moving away from our true calling, which is the boundary? Well, yeah, and that kind of gets us back to, um, actually, some of the things we were talking about when we started the program out. Um, uh, what, what, you, can get, you can get a doctorate in, in GIS technology, can't you? Yes, you can. There are a lot of I, thought, I, I thought so, and uh, because I know, I know some people who went back to school and uh, and got a doctorate in GIS technology or whatever they called the doctorate, but it was in GIS. <clears throat> and that you and I have seen in in our careers, we've seen GIS come from nowhere, and to, still to this day, surveying's been around for thousands of years. I mean, the the Romans used surveyors, the Egyptians used surveyors. And there's no, there's no advanced degrees for uh, for boundary surveying, which seems just incredible to me. Um, and and what, uh, another thought that I never I never got around to. You were I, I didn't want to interrupt you. You were uh, giving us some good stuff. Uh, one of the thoughts I also had is um, we were talking about law and getting more law in the in the courses. And you and what you basically said was we just don't have the time to do it. Uh, is is there a possibility that there could be a master's degree um, in in boundary surveying uh, related to law? Yes, there is, and that's one of the things that I think we fail at mostly. But we go back to the university model again. Professors must have research money in order to maintain it. The only only place the research money is coming in is through the geospatial. You know. We need people who have more of a legal background to step in and teach at a master's, but the requirements for a master's degree, the faculty have to have a doctorate. You can't have an equivalent degree at that point. So where do we find the people with the doctorate degrees to actually step in and teach the master's? I I would love to have a master's program that did nothing but dealt with boundary and related issues that surveyors use every single day. And a master's yeah. program is pretty simple. Most master's survey, or, excuse me, most master's programs only require about 30 hours worth of classes. But, you know, at three credit hours, it's about 10, 10 classes, including the dissertation. So there is a great 
opportunities for that if we could get it. And it would also be a great opportunity for the form of an online master's degree. Uh, most, you know, with a master's degree, you can at least teach at the bachelor's level. And then we could also begin sliding people back into true survey programs to replace those of us who are aging out very quickly. Uh, I don't know who would replace me if something were to happen or we retire or whatever, because there's really nobody out there with the background and the experiences that we need for the, that surveyor educator. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, we only have a couple more minutes here, Jerry. I'm going to give you maybe our last question here. It, we've talked about a lot of good stuff and uh, stuff I haven't even thought about. Uh, you've been excellent uh, guests here today. If you were if you were the czar of surveying, what changes would you make relative to educa- to the education or to the profession or both? Well, if I was going to be the czar, it would be the need to create a more educated surveyor as far as, I'm not necessarily saying school is the absolute, but as you know from teaching seminars, most of the guys attending the seminar are there just to get the PDH. They sleep through, they're on the phones, etc. They're not paying attention unless you bring up a controversial issue. But you know, we need a, a more educated understanding of why we do boundaries. So I would encourage that at least a two-year degree of some type be created that, that allows surveyors and to also make help surveyors understand their responsibility to the next generation is mentoring. And you've got to take that time out from running the business to make sure that you're mentoring the, the person that's going to replace you. Too many surveyors are more worried about, you know, if I bring this guy into teaching, he's going to become my competitor. And so they refuse to even attempt to mentor. You know, it's, it's the, the age-old problem again. We're our own worst enemy. So the professional surveyor has to understand that part of that professional responsibility is educating the next generation. And they may have the, the, the book learning, but they don't have the practical field experience. And so many times you hear the argument of field people, you know, that say, well, you know, so-and-so graduated college, she doesn't know anything. You're absolutely right. But that's the job of the surveyor to pick up where the education leaves off and to finish that education through the experience of the real world. And so that would be my two main goals is to make sure that we have surveyors who have the basic background that they need and are being educated further by a professional cadre of surveyors who continue that education. Okay. Um, yeah. How do we make that happen? I guess <laughs> I guess that's the follow-up <laughs> question. <right? laughs> well, if you're czar, if you're czar, you would have the death penalty, so you could. <laughs> you there we go. <laughs> you you could do some enforcement. <laughs> you could do some enforcement, right? Yes, absolutely. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure we only have. Uh, I don't see David yet, but I'm sure we only have a little bit of time left here. Is there anything else you'd like to? Uh, say to our audience before we're done here. I, I mean, there's plenty that, you know, we got more topics we could always talk about that they would get into longer dissertations. Uh, so, you know, other than the fact that I just I really appreciate what you've been doing with this and your educational uh, outreaches to your seminars, you know, I think you've really helped the surveying community over the years in touching the profession in ways others can't. So, but well, thank you for I, I, definitely having me I, th- I thank you for saying that, Jerry. Uh, you, your check is in the mail. <laughs> your check is in the mail. But I'm a surveyor, so it's not a whole lot, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, yeah, um, you know. But in, in my position, I, I I haven't put myself in a position of mentoring people either, you know, uh, except through seminars. But you know, no no one on one situation and. Uh, so I'm a little bit I'm a little bit guilty there myself, um, and I really don't know what to do about it. Um, hold on, we got we got about thirty seconds left here, Jerry. I'll give you the last word. Don't know what to say in the last words, but I'm looking. For <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Well, listen, Jerry, uh, we do. We left a lot on the table, and there were a lot of follow-ups I, I wanted to do with you, so uh, maybe uh, sometime in the near future you'll come back on again. What do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Jerry. Listen, you take care. Uh, y'all stay safe, and uh, be looking forward to uh, meeting up with you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.